Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer this morning and once again. Lord, we admit our need. We admit that you are the only one that has the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, we just ask that you would work in our hearts each part of this service to bring honor and glory to yourself and to your name and that our time spent here this morning would encourage us to live for you through this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's the truth, is it not? Trusting Jesus. That is all. All right, let's have the children dismissed to the children's church if you're 12 or under. The rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, we will get there in just a moment, so... um, Last uh, Sunday morning, I uh, tried to preach on the work uh, of the pastor, and uh, it comes in three basic categories, the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. And of course, the ultimate goal as we finished that passage last Sunday morning was that the church would grow to a point to where it the members of the church are working together to edify itself in love. You see, the whole purpose of the church is to be the body of Christ. Uh, uh, As we are working with the Community Baptist Church out in Riverhead, one of the things that uh, has come up is the issue of communion and baptism and some of these things that uh, separate us. And uh, one lady just said, I've never heard of this closed communion before. Can you explain that to me? And I said, well, it's really easy if you start with what a church is. What is a church? You see, If you pick up almost any commentary that's been written in the last 500 years, it's going to, that anywhere near Bible-believing, they will all talk about this universal, invisible body of Christ that extends over continents. And yet, when Paul uses the figure of the body to explain the church, what is he talking about? He's talking about pieces that are together and connected with each other. Um, my favorite little joke, would you indulge me once again laughing, even if you don't think it's funny, but if you have a bunch of body parts in a room and they're not connected, what do you have? An autopsy, that's right. Uh, there's no life there. If you have a body in a room and all of its parts are connected and you do not have life, what do you have? A funeral. But when all of the parts are together and connected in living, you have life. Each individual local church is a complete body. Our church is not a representation or a picture of the true church of Jesus Christ. It is the true church of Jesus Christ. I had one uh, young man trying to argue with me about this, and he said, so you have one head, which is Christ, and all these little bodies hanging off of one head. I said, wow, you really have to go to extremes 
to try to prove your point that is unprovable. He said, is not Christ capable of dealing with each individual assembly as if it were the only church in existence? This is how the church operates until he puts us together with him in heaven one day. How many of you are looking forward to that day? Could you say amen to that? Until we get there, we've got some work to do. That wasn't as good an amen. You know why? Because work requires effort. Work requires instruction and direction. Work requires a lot of things. Work is a four-letter word, but it's not a bad one. Amen? Uh, it, it's a good word, and God has given us things to do. I, I, I do not understand how someone could be content trying to earn their way to heaven because if you don't make the cut, what are the consequences? And by the way, who in this room would be so arrogant as to stand up and say, God must let me into heaven. I've done enough to earn heaven. Could you imagine saying that to God? I'm so glad the Bible teaches us that salvation is by grace through faith. That salvation is not the end of our faith. It's the beginning of our faith. And God has given us things to do. And this morning, what I would like to preach about is the work of the believer. This is in the overall theme here. We, we want to follow God as dear children. Do we not? I mean, wouldn't you like to be God's special one? His servant as a dear child. Um, just wanting to obey God and, and having that sweet communion that God wants us to have. The Bible says, except ye be converted. That's salvation. And become as little children. You know what? That's a process. And, and may we just use the, the play on words that that offers us. God does not want us to be childish. He wants us to become as little children. You know, there's, there's something sweet about little children, is there not? Uh, there's just something wonderful about those little ones. And you can pick them up and hold them and, and, and talk to them and they talk to you. And that's what God wants to do. You know, this morning we are going to look at one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. And since the time, I, I cannot give you a perfect accounting because my memory is not perfect. But since I graduated Bible college in 1986, that's a couple years ago, uh, I traveled two years with Brother Clayton. Uh, uh, then we were at Cleveland Baptist for two years, basically. And then 
We went on deputation and traveled to churches for another 18 to 20 months and then moved here to New York City and been here ever since. Praise God. I've been to a lot of fellowship meetings. I've heard a lot of preaching. And the subject we're going to preach on this morning, I can be totally confident in this fact that I have not heard five sermons in fellowship meetings in over 30 years in ministry on the passage we're going to look at today. Sometimes it's addressed glancingly. And I want you to understand that this, as we get ahead of ourselves, and we're just going to read the last two verses of this chapter. It says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. This is God speaking here. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Would you allow the import of those words to sink into your heart? And and I don't mean to drum up uh, bad memories if if this is the case in your life. But I, I can remember as a little child climbing up and sitting on my father's lap. My father passed away when I was 14. But I can still remember those days of just sitting there and and holding my father. And and I had two younger brothers. And my dad was not a very tall man, but he was a big man. And there was enough room there for all three of us. And and he would just hold us there and we would sit on his lap. And I'll tell you, I I, I remember those things. It, It was a wonderful experience in my life. If you've never ever had that, I'm not trying to do anything except to get you to understand that's what God wants to do. That's what God wants to give you. That's what this passage is talking about. He says, I will receive you. I will be a father unto you. Ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, part of being a dad is discipline, isn't it? Boy, that got quiet. Father's Day's coming up, and, and you got good news. Brother Sam is going to be here on Father's Day. So, uh, uh, I'll save my Father's Day sermon for another time. Uh, but it's a great deal of responsibility. And yet God says, I want this to happen. Now, I ask this question often. How many of you could use a little more joy in your life? I mean, every hand should be up. I mean, we can use more joy. But how, how many of us could use a little more of that fatherly comfort and support in our lives? I'll tell you what, I'm a grown man. 
this summer will be 40 years since my father passed away. And I still miss him. I do. But I've got some comfort because my father believed in the same heavenly father that I do. And even if you did not have a good father here on this earth, I want to challenge you. You've got a heavenly father that wants to be a far better father than any earthly father ever could be. He wants to comfort us. He wants to, uh, to be that father figure. He wants to guide us. The, uh, I will tell you the greatest experience is watching children follow in the direction when they're old enough to make their own choices. And one of the hardest things as a pastor is watching people listen to the sermons knowing that they're going to go home and do exactly the opposite of what preached about. You know what? It doesn't do any good to chide and scream and holler and all of these things, because if you won't make the decision to follow God in your heart, I can't make that decision for you. You have to choose to trust Jesus as your Savior. And if you're going to follow God, you must choose to follow God. And the Bible says as a little child, I'll tell you, as a little child, I remember taking Andrew on a walk in the woods. It's one of my favorite little stories. And he's downstairs, I think, with the children's church. So don't tell him I told this story, all right? But uh, my mother lived in central Pennsylvania in uh, uh, the mountains there, big woods. And, I mean, you could walk down a, uh, a path in those woods. Uh, I remember one, it was actually a a road that they had used for the uh, miners at one time, and then the loggers came in. and and uh, But you'd walk down that road, and it was just like walking into a house. The forest had grown up, and I mean, it was dark. And we got walking down about two or three hundred yards down this little road. I had been down so many, many, many times as a child. And... Uh, Andrew looks up and says, Dad, it's getting dark outside. Shouldn't we get home? I said, Son, it's the middle of the day. He said, But it's dark. How do you know the way? I said, Son, trust me. I've, I've been down these paths many, many times. I, I know where we're going. Let's, let's go. And he followed me. And we had some fun. We found an old grapevine and we cut it off and made a swing out of it. And, and just enjoyed some time out in the, out in the woods. Children, as dear children. Now, see, here is the work of the Christian. Now, as we think about what God wants to do and how he wants us to treat us and how he wants to care for us, we've got to understand something. We live in the real world, do we not? And uh, I, I don't know how many times people have accused me. You don't live in the real world. Oh, really? My apartment's on 35th Street, uh, right here. I mean, 
when I take the trash out, we set it on the corner there. Uh, it, it, do you set it out in a different world? Uh, do we live in parallel universes here? Is there a time warp discontinuum? Oh, no, that's sci-fi. Sorry. Um, people go through all kinds of things. and They say, uh, uh, you, you don't experience what I experience. Well, this is true because I'm not living in your body. You're not living in mine. But we all live in the same world. And uh, some of the events that go on in our world are absolutely heartbreaking. Not been a good week, if you love life, in New York State. I don't know. The jury's still out. But I don't think it's been a very good week for if you love this country. Uh, There's just a lot of bad stuff going on right now. I want to challenge you, the world is our foe. But we're not here to fight the world. Here's what we're here to do. We're here to live for God in this world. This world is a sinking ship. You read the book of Revelation. There's a lot of bad things that are happening. Now, when you have a ship that is sinking many times, you will have a little bit of time. When the Titanic struck that iceberg, they had hours before the ship actually sank underneath the waves. Hours and hours as the water came in and... and had they the forethought to have enough lifeboats on board, honestly, if that same accident were to happen today, every living person on the ship could have been saved. Because there was some time there. You see, that's where we are. That is our attack. We are trying to help people get in the lifeboats. We are trying to use what God has given us here in this earth. The reason the world hates us so much, they are so diligently trying to erase the least mention of God from society and anywhere His words might be displayed. They're afraid of the Ten Commandments. You know... Do you know how many mass shootings there were in the public schools when the Ten Commandments were displayed on the walls of every public school in the land before 1962? Yeah, you just answered the question. Uh, There weren't any mass shootings in public schools. Uh, Does that mean if we go put the Ten Commandments up in, in all of our schools, they'll stop? No, the damage has been done, my friend. The world is trying to destroy any notice of God. You know why? Because they don't want God to be in their thought processes. Because they know what they're doing is an offense to a holy God. 
It's kind of like the little child. Who, who was it? I think I had Abby. She was up here after Thursday night service. And I said, quick, Abby, let's make you disappear. And she just got down on all knees and put her hands over her eyes. You see, if she can't see you, you can't see her, right? And we laugh and it is cute. But it's not very funny when a human being, an adult, says, I don't see God. I don't believe in Him. But that's what we got going on now, isn't it? And people have said, well, let's just leave the world. Let's get out of the world. Well, here's what Jesus said. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. That's what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. In 1 Corinthians 5, it says, Yet not altogether, as Paul was talking about, uh, not fellowshipping with fornicators of this world. He says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with coveters or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. Paul is not giving an option to leave the world. Jesus prayed that we would be in the world and yet not be destroyed by the evil that is in it. Have you ever thought about the fact of how upsetting it is to find out that they cannot stop the testimony of Jesus Christ? You know, the number one black market item during the Soviet Union's reign of terror was not Levi Jeans. It was a Russian translation of this book. Right here. Isn't it amazing? That communism failed. But the churches of Jesus Christ are still here. You see, we need to understand something. God has some things for us to do. Now let's look at first second Corinthians. And chapter 6, and we're going to look, just look at verse 1 and then skip down. We then, as workers together with him, beseech ye also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation, and I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, As Paul is starting this passage here, he says, listen, we are workers together. He said, and my fear is that you've received the grace of God in vain. You know, there are, there will not be one person who stands before God that can say, you condemn me to hell. I never had a chance to believe in God. The Bible teaches that. Now, do I have enough information to prove that in every instance? No, I don't. Neither do you. Nobody does. Of course, the first question is, what about the aborigines? Oh, I love that. So, you're going to use the aborigines in Australia. Oh, no, no. The ones in Africa. Okay. That's the group you're going to use. Uh, and, And you're going to say that because you can't prove they had the gospel, you're going to die and go to hell. Does that make a lot of sense? You see, we do not know 
the history of mankind. But we do know this. Anyone who looks up into the sky at night has to know there's a God. Anyone who examines creation about us knows there has got to be a creator. Anyone who would deny that fact is not a scientist. They're just engaging in foolishness because they do not want to hear And God has never rejected one person who has called upon his name, asking for salvation. You know what God told Cornelius of the the Italian band? Do you remember that? He said, you go send to Peter. He's the preacher. He'll come and tell you how to get saved. You see, God has a program. And God will do what needs to be done to get the gospel out. Do not worry about all of the other people. Worry about your salvation. Is there a time when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is there a point in your life where you stopped serving yourself and surrendered to the mercy of God and asked Him to save you? I've always done that. Well, then according to the Bible, you are not saved. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again. You see, that tells us There has got to be a point in life where things change. Where you call upon the name of the Lord. Where you ask Him to save you. Uh, Right here, the verses we just read said, If you have not done that, today is the day to get that done. Amen? Today is the day to stop believing in yourself and ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. The publican that Jesus gave the example of was simply this. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you'll let go of your religion, your good works, you'll let go of the best of who you are and everything else and just trust in the finished work of Jesus, He will save you. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become, because they weren't before, the sons of God. Here's how you receive Him. Even to them that believe on His name. That's how simple it is. But once you're saved, then there's some things that have to be done. Let's, let's get down to verse 11. It says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is opened unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Now, these words might be a little strange to us, but uh, uh, what Paul is simply saying here, he says, we love you, Corinthians. Now, did the Corinthians have some problems? Oh, my. They were the most problematic church that we know of in the New Testament. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? 
I mean, they, they had lots of problems. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I have said a lot to your church. I mean, we have two of the longest letters written to churches here, both to the same church by the Apostle Paul, both trying to straighten out problems that were in that church. Paul, Paul says, my mouth is open. He said, I'm talking to you. I'm giving you information, and, and it's because I love you and I care about you. And then he says, ye are not straightened in us, ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now, I don't know, I, I hope this hasn't been the case too much, but and, and please don't raise your hands, but I am sure there are people in this auditorium that could give testimony, preachers been picking on me. He was talking about me in that message. I've had people say that. And I will tell you, I use many, many examples for many, many times. And I have never come into this pulpit with somebody's name in my notes saying, I'm going to pin them. I know preachers that do that. I don't think that's very biblical. I try never to preach at people. You see, I've had a lot more people say, Preacher, I don't know how you knew what was going on, but well, that's the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, you're not straightened in us. He said, I'm not here trying to straighten you out. He says, you're under conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm glad. You say, but I'm miserable. Well, that could be a good thing. It, it, Paul talks about sorrowing unto godly repentance, does he not? And so, in fact, that's the next chapter, and we don't have time to get there. He says... Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children. He says, listen, children, Paul had the right to call them that. He started that church. He said, will you just get on board and follow the teachings that I'm giving you? Because I, I am giving you the words that I'm giving you, the admonition, the correction because I care about you and I love you in the Lord. The conviction you are feeling in your heart is because you're in disobedience and disagreement with God's Word. The Holy Spirit's going to make you feel that and let's get this thing right and let's walk together. So how are we going to walk together? As Apostle Paul is admonishing the church at Corinth, now we get to chapter verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So now we're going to come to a passage that's often quoted. Be ye not unequally yoked, 
That's why I don't vote. That's not an unequal yoke. Uh, being not unequally yoked together, that's why I'm not a part of any organized religion or church. Excuse me, that's not what's being talked about here. People will twist God's word to mean whatever they want to do. How many of you have ever seen a, a, a yoke that was actually used on real animals? I mean... Yokes are amazing things. We, we talk about horsepower today. And uh, basically what a horsepower is, is the uh, energy that is needed to move one ton, one foot. And uh, uh, hopefully, you know, a horse is supposed to be able to do that. Uh, but... And some horses are huge, and they do much more than that. Uh, and we try to translate that into automobile engines and electrical motors and all of those things. And, and I, I am a person that prefers horsepower over horses any day of the week. Uh, I like mechanical things. And, but a yoke is a way to take two animals and bind them together. Because two animals pulling together in a yoke can get more accomplished than three animals separately most of the time. It multiplies the force that they have. Now, a yoke is a bond, is, is a permanent connection that is made. In, in fact, those that know these things tell us if you take two animals that are untrained... Uh, especially mules, and would yoke them together, they would fight with each other until one of the animals was dead. That in order to really work together as a yoke, they had to be trained from uh, the, uh, during their growing process to learn how to pull in that yoke together. It was a permanent bond. And I'll tell you, if you put the wrong animals in the yoke, all you could do is stand there and watch until one of them died, because if you got in the way, you'd probably end up just about as dead as one of the animals was going to. It's a very terrible, terrible thing. Don't, don't ever do that. Don't, don't go home and try that and, and uh, say, Ah, pastor was right. Uh, it's not worth the effort, let me tell you. Would you keep your finger in Second Corinthians chapter 6? And go with me to Matthew chapter 11 for just a moment. Because we need to take a moment here. And we'll start in verse 27. Matthew chapter 11. All things are delivered unto me of my Father... And no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. This is the yoke of Christ. How is his yoke rest? Well, who did all the work so that you could be saved? Jesus did. Who gives you the strength to work and to live for him each and every day? Well, Jesus does. Living with Jesus, being bound to him in a yoke, means he does the work and I walk along beside him, basically. And that's what Jesus has said. He said his yoke is easy, his burden is light, because he's the one that's bearing it. Can we say amen to that? And so... We have a yoke that the Christian is supposed to be in. And in order for you to be unequally yoked, you've got to get out of that yoke with Jesus and get in it with something else. Now, you cannot lose your salvation. The Bible is very clear about that. But you can lose everything else. There are saved people who have lost their family. There are saved people who have committed great sin and lost their freedom and are incarcerated. There are saved people who have done many, many terrible things. You know why? Because they laid aside the yoke of Christ and picked up an unequal yoke. And it will destroy you. It will take you places You don't want to go. It'll make you pay more than you could ever imagine. And and how does this unequal yoke work? Well, we've got several different terms here. We find the term fellowship, communion, concord, part, and agreement. Now, let's just go through these words and then we'll put them in their context. The word fellowship, that is a willing association. Our church belongs to the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. It is a fellowship of churches, of pastors and uh, and churches who have coveted together because of our doctrinal agreement to work for the cause of missions. That's what the Global Independent Baptist Times is out there as a publication. And if you have not gotten that, please take a copy. Uh, Take it home and read it. Uh, I challenge you, it's not easy reading. Uh, But there are there's a lot of good information in there. Uh, A fellowship is a willing association. The word communion, when we see that word used in the Bible, it's talking about intimate fellowship. It's talking about a building relationship. It's talking about... Having things in common together that make us stronger together than we were apart. Concord is an interesting definition. It says an agreement in feeling and or opinion. Now, don't we live in a world full of feelings and opinions? Oh, that could be a whole sermon, couldn't it? Uh, The feel-good generation. Feelings and opinions. Part, that is to share, to become a substance that makes up the whole. That's what a part is, isn't it? How many are glad you only ate part of the pie instead of the pie, right? 
there are ramifications for that that aren't all that pleasant. Uh, but to be a part of something, to take a part, is to make yourself some of the substance that makes up the whole. An agreement is pleasing or contented with. We make an agreement to purchase a piece of property. It's called an agreement, a contract. And they are pleased. I am glad that the synagogue was pleased to take our down payment and hold a mortgage for three years at 0% interest. Uh, that was much more pleasing to us, I'm sure, than it was to them. Uh, but, but they did that and made that agreement with us, enabled us to buy this building, and we thank God for that. That's an agreement. And, and so we have fellowship, a willing association, communion, a building relationship, concord, which is agreement in feeling and or opinion, part, it is to share the substance of, to become a part of the substance of the whole. And an agreement is pleasing or contenting with. Now, let's look at how those words are used. For what fellowship, willing communion, has righteousness with unrighteousness? What willing association does righteousness have with unrighteousness? You know, the illustration's been given many times. I'm not going to do it this morning because I need my water. But how much dirt would you put in a glass of water before you would and still drink it? Uh, the answer is I hope none. Amen. But what fellowship, what willing communion has righteousness with unrighteousness? And let me tell you, we have places that call themselves churches meeting in working bars today. Because they want to meet people where they are. That, that would be a willing um, uh, association, would it not? I'll tell you what, there, there is no willing agreement between the liquor crowd and righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's no place in the life of a Bible-believing Christian for alcohol to be used. Well, they do use it as a medicine. Yeah, they do. Usually it's to kill the germs before they stick the needle in so you don't get tetanus. Don't drink that kind of alcohol, my friend. Uh... They do not use drinking alcohol. You'll never go into a hospital and, and the nurse pulls out a, what, a, what is it, Johnny Walker and pours a little on a pad and rubs your arm before they stick a knee. It's not going to happen. Isopropyl does a whole lot better job than ethanol. Uh, and you can make all the excuses you want. But there's no willing association of righteousness and unrighteousness. And if you think there is, you've just put dirt in your water. Hope you enjoy it. Actually, I don't. Because a lot of people think they are. 
communion, a building relationship. What communion hath light with darkness? What kind of building relationship does light have with darkness? Well, the light shineth into the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Do you know that light and dark cannot be in the same place at the same time? If there is light there, there is not dark. You say, but but it can be awful murky. Yeah, but there's still light there. Go into a cave. If you ever have a chance, uh, you got Hal's Cavern up in... uh, Cobleskill area there, and you can go down, and we went there one time and went into the cavern. They turned the lights off underground. They always do that. How many of you have been in one of those things? I mean, you think you're seeing things, but you're not seeing anything because if there's no light, the eyes don't work. And you see, there, there's no building relationship of light and darkness. You're not going to find anything in the darkness of this world that's going to help you to Jesus Christ. Nothing. That's why we're not building bridges to the world. That's, that's why we're not trying to look to the world for marketing plans. Uh, we're, we're not trying to do... Uh, what concord hath Christ with Belial? Now, that word Belial is a Hebrew term... It means sons of the devil. How many of you remember Acts 16? As Paul was in the city of Philippi, the demon-possessed woman was following him and said, These men are the true servants of the living God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Isn't that what she said? Was there anything wrong with her message? Absolutely not. She was right on the mark. But what was she doing? It's called guilt by association, isn't it? Because it was coming from the soothsayer. See, the devil always loves to put himself in a place where he becomes the author of truth. Paul knew he was going to have trouble no matter what he did. So he waited a few days and hoped it would go away, but it didn't. In fact, it says many days in your King James Bible. So Paul finally turns and addresses the demon that was in the woman, and and the demon moves on, and now her masters find out they have no way of making money on her anymore. They get thrown in prison. Well, God had a purpose for that. He wanted to save the jailer. Amen. He wanted the jailer to get the gospel. But there is no agreement. There is no concord. There's no good feelings that you can have between serving Christ and serving the sons of the devil. Between walking with Christ and walking with the sons of the devil, there is no concord. There is no agreement. There is no opinion that we share. This next one, or what part hath he believed, hath he that believeth was an infidel? Now stop and think about that. Being a part of, taking a part of, owning shares in is to 
is to become part of the substance of the whole. Now, we have people out there that believe that you can be an infidel and go to heaven. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He says, what part? Are are we going to go out into the world and bring the music of the infidel into our services and use that as worshiping God because it will bring more people in the doors? Hello? That's why these things are so important. Are we going to share the mentality of the infidel and criticize the Word of God and talk about how that there is no authoritative copy of the Word of God, that God did not keep His Word when He said He would preserve it every jot and tittle? You know what? I'm standing here today saying I might not be able to answer all the questions, but if I have a choice between believing what God said about His Word... And what you say about God's Word, guess who loses? You do. Because I'm not having part with an infidel. I'm not going to hold hands with those that believe that you can have a partial salvation or you can choose to lay your salvation aside. That that you have to evidence your salvation with some uh, miraculous sign or wonder. All the proof that we need is in the pages of this book. I'm not going to become part and substance. That's what I told the man when when they called from the Billy Graham crusade years ago. When they crawled from promise keepers. Listen, we're, we're not going to become part of you. Because you're the one that benefits. That's why Sung Young Moon sends his people out with... Well, he doesn't anymore. He's met his eternal reward, and I'll promise you, it's not heaven. He, they send their people out with sun, free Sunday school material to pass around. You know why? Because if he can have his stuff taught in your church, you've just become part of the infidel. That's how the devil works. In what agreement, what Pleasing. What contentment can there be between the temple of God and an idol? Do you know why we have a worship service here this morning? Because the Bible says so. We are to worship God. And there is only one reason why we worship the God of the Bible. Because there are no other gods. There is no other God. He is the only true God. Can we say amen to that? We come here and we try to order things in our church. These 26 and a half almost years that we have been in existence as a church, we have tried to follow the direction that is in this book called the Bible. The agreement that we want is with God's Word. It's not wanting to uh, agree with everyone else. I mean, people say, well, we're all the children of God. No, you're not. 
You must be born into God's family to be His child. You must be His son and His daughter. And, and we're, we're moving through here. Here's what God wants to do. He says, I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Now that's an amazing thing, is it not? That the God of heaven wants to pay attention to what's going on in my life, in your life. In, in our little church right here, God is paying attention. He says, I want to walk in them. I want to dwell in them. I want to be their God. I want them to be my people. And, and he uses the positive verb there. He says, I will dwell. I will walk. I will be. They shall be. Now, verse 17 starts with wherefore. Because of everything we've said. Now, we started in verse 17 and 18 talking about that promise. And I would hope that every one of us here today would want that promise to be in their life. Could we say amen to that? That God would be our Father, that we would be His sons and daughters, that we would have that relationship, that comfort, that strength, that guidance, that direction that only Father can give. Okay? Because of all of these things, it says, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. This is one of the only places in the Bible when it talks about salvation. It talks about us all becoming the sons of God. And the idea there is the right of inheritance and and the connection of of carrying on the family. And and so only the male usage is here. But here, God says. Sons and daughters. You know why? Because he's talking about an intimacy that he wants to have with us. A caring relationship. As a father. You know, I treat my daughters different than I do my sons. I mean, sometimes I'll walk up and give one of my sons a good thump somewhere just to wake him up. I don't do that to my daughters. He said, Dad, that's a love tap, son. Uh, But I don't do that to my daughters. Uh, I don't take my daughters on 50-mile bike rides. But I try to get my sons out every once in a while. We try to do something like that. Why? Because I want to stretch them. Uh, and, And I take my sons to work on the building. And I take my daughters out for coffee. Amen? Uh, Listen. God says, I want you to be my sons and daughters. I want to walk with you. I want to care about you as a father would. But here's what you've got to do. Here's the work. It says, come out from among them. I, I don't know how else to say this. I've said it so many times. I don't think I'm getting through. What you had in the world before you got saved is not going to help you serve God. 
whatever talents, abilities, accomplishments you had, I I don't care how religious you think you were and how much you quote-unquote loved or God or how much service you may or may not think you did for God, none of it counts before you get saved. It's not for God. It's part of the world. There's no community. You've got to draw the line. What you had before Christ is worthless. It's filthy rags in the sight of God. If you're going to get saved, you've got to lay that aside. What you had before isn't going to help. It'll come in one of those categories. I don't care what it is. That we just went through. You can't serve God and swim with the sharks. You can't serve God and win the rat race or even be a member or even be a participant in the rat race. Jesus put it this way, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, does that mean you should be the worst employee? No. But you have to understand there's more to life than making money. There's more to life than a career. There's more to life than your job. But I will tell you as your pastor, I am glad for everyone that works jobs and ties to our church. Otherwise, we couldn't support the missionaries that we do. We couldn't maintain the building. We wouldn't have the freedom that we have to be helping these other churches that we're helping uh, and, and doing these things. But it says, wherefore, come out from among them. It says, and be ye separate. You know why you should work your job? So you can serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can rightfully and willfully earn that income to worship Him with in your tithes and in your offerings. So that you can be a good testimony of how Christ supplies His needs and your needs. The Bible says, be ye separate. You know, that's one of the reasons. I do not preach on, on clothing a lot. Uh, I mentioned it some. Uh, ladies, if you need to understand what modest dress is, you need to be at our ladies' meetings. My wife teaches on that subject thoroughly. Uh, man, if you don't know how to dress as a man, see me. We'll, we'll talk about it. It's not quite as complicated as you think. Uh, it's just wearing clothes. Amen? Uh, Uh, So that doesn't need as much teaching as the others. But we ought to be different than the world. Amen? We ought not be immodest or immoral in our dress. We ought not draw undue attention to ourselves. And see... Do the Amish not draw more attention to themselves than the Hollywood starlets do most of the time? Because everybody's imitating the Hollywood starlets, but nobody's imitating the Amish. When one of them go walking by, it's, whoa, where'd they come from? My favorite is at the bus station or at the airport. The Amish do not believe in any kind of transportation that is not horse-drawn, and yet they'll get on an airplane... (laughs) And fly all over the place. I love it. You see, 
what we're trying to do is be as honest and sincere followers of God as dear children. And that means drawing attention to Jesus, not to us. Can we say amen to that? Be ye separate. Be ye different. Come apart from the world. Now this next one is the hardest one. And touch not the unclean thing. You know, how many of us could simply think, well, I think I did touch an unclean thing this week. And I think most of our hands would be up. You know what I'm going to ask you to do as part of the invitation of this sermon? So I'm going to ask you to think about that and pray about that. You see, the Bible says that if we're going to be, if we're going to enjoy this promise... We've got to come out from among the world. Now, if you're saved and attending this church as a member of this church, you've probably pretty much done that. Because there are things about our church and the way we run that are going to make you different. Most of you who have attended here very long, your family members are saying, what kind of crazy church is that? Three times a week? That's ridiculous. And then if they find out about offerings and things, then they go nuts. You give that much money to the church? You've got to be crazy. Well, listen, those are part of our worship to God. We come out from, we're different. But let me ask you a question. How about that unclean thing? Are your hands dirty this morning? See, there is nothing... I shouldn't say nothing, but few things more revolting than having a little grandkid walk up and go, Grandpa! And you pick them up and you hold them and you realize they're full to the brim and overflowing. How many of you know what I mean? Do I need to explain that? And there's embarrassed mama or or daddy standing behind him saying, uh, uh, they need to be changed. I said, no kidding. Here you go. Would you do that to God? I wonder how many times he reaches his hands out to pick us up and goes, oh. They came out, they're separate, but they're not clean. Aren't you glad First John 1, 9 is in the Bible? But you know, we have to initiate that process. Now, God will forgive all of your sins because Jesus, when he said it is finished on the cross, he paid for every sin that was ever sinned. But if you want to enjoy the fellowship You've got to confess that sin and ask him to forgive you of that sin and to allow him to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Sometimes that takes a while. Amen? Sometimes that takes some effort. We, we need 
as believers in Christ, as servants of the Lord. are, Are we touching the unclean thing? Are we soiled as we try to sit on the lap of our Father? You wonder why the fellowship isn't as sweet as it ought to be. Sometimes it's because, well, it's never because God doesn't want it to be. It's always because of something that's going on in our heart and in our mind. Number one, if you're not saved today... The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Go down through that list. Fellowship. Let me just... Fellowship, righteousness with unrighteousness, communion, light with darkness, agreement, Christ with Belial, part, the believer with an infidel, and agreement, the temple of God with idols. If you got one of those things... You've got to deal with that. That's how we come out. That's how we separate ourselves from the world. And then the last part of that is touch not the unclean thing. You know, it's easy for us to make allowances in our entertainment. In the places we go. In the things we do. And if we're not careful... We're going to find ourselves like that stinky little baby in the presence of a holy and righteous God. If we want to be those little children, I'll tell you, grandbabies are far more dearer when the diapers are clean than when they're not. Can we think about that? Would you pray with me? Would you pray for yourself? And if you're here today and you're not saved, would you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this time of invitation. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom. Just as Paul told the Corinthians at the beginning of our message, You're not straightened in me. You're straightened. You're under conviction in your own bowels, in your own person, because that's where the Holy Spirit is, and He's working on us. And Lord, we pray that we would not reject that conviction of the Holy Spirit, but we would let it work in our hearts and lives. And Lord, that we would not make agreements with idols. We would not try to commune with darkness. Lord, that we would understand that things that we allow in our lives are unclean and we would come to You for the washing of the water of the Word that we could be that dear child. Lord, we're thankful Your love is unconditional. And you never stop saving us, Lord. But I can't help but understand and know there must be unsaved people in this auditorium this morning. 
Lord, that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their need. Lord, that we would get out the mirror of the Word. We'd be able to see. And maybe, Lord, just open our spiritual noses so we could understand how offensive we are to a holy God who wants to love us. And Lord, my prayer is that each of us would be able to enjoy or start enjoying that love that you have for us. To be seated in the comfort and protection of our Heavenly Father. Oh Lord, work in our church. We, we need you to remove our pride and our arrogance and our agreements with the world and our parts in the world that we can be those sons and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We've already sang the song.